0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired NYPD homicide sergeant. With me today, one of my favorite co-hosts, straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil? Pretty good, Bill. Excited to talk about what we got going on. Hey, that's great. You know, uh, folks, I don't know if a lot of you watched last night, but last night we did a... um, a 20-year anniversary show, 9-11 Remembered. And it uh, basically was uh, on a book uh, written by a uh, retired NYPD inspector, Bob Morton. And I thought that the show was um, quite riveting and and very emotional. I got choked up a few times just talking about it. Um, And I I talked to Philly about it, and he watched it. And when we showed a little clip... From one of the towers coming down. It just you got that same feeling that you got almost 20 years ago in your your stomach. Phil, uh, what you want to comment about that? I know you're a responder also.
1: Wow. All I could say is, wow, it it just you know, you try to put it out of your mind and it just all came rushing back and you get that knot in your stomach. And I could remember on the morning of I was actually home when the when the planes hit, but I got down there. Uh, a little bit after the collapse. And, uh, that feeling, like you said, Bill, that not in your stomach, you, you said it when you were, uh, when you were showing that video and even that, I mean, it just, uh, it all comes running, uh, coming back to you. I mean, I could just looking at that picture. I could smell what we would smell down there. There was just a certain smell in the air. Uh, you know, uh, I don't want to get too graphic, but, uh, just horrible. And, uh, you know we lost so many people that day and we're still losing people and uh a lot of us have illnesses related to the exposure down there including myself and uh we just got to hope and pray that everybody could uh stay healthy and safe and uh god forbid there should ever anything like this magnitude or any any terrorist attack should ever happen again god forbid
0: you know Phil, uh, uh it's uh, it is very difficult for us first responders to talk about it but you know we survived and tonight I'm having a show, uh, the second uh, show, a 20-year anniversary. And it's going to be, um, I hope, a little loose and there's some humor involved because the only way to get through a lot of this stuff is to have a sense of humor. And it's with the three detectives from the 2-3 squad that 20 years ago I, I responded to the Twin Towers with. And it's thank God all of us are alive. And we're going to tell a little bit about our experiences that day. And one of the things that I noticed um, 20 years later, and it's they tried to do it earlier. A lot of politicians don't like that to memorialize this day. And they're trying to stop the celebrations. They tried to stop it totally last year. The uh, Remember they did the lights and they tried to stop them from doing it, from Cuomo, the governor, to the mayor, and they blamed it on COVID. I don't know what their excuse is this year, but they're not allowing first responders to go to the ceremonies. Just families of people who were lost in the attacks. And I don't know what that purpose of that is, because I think we should be allowed to memorialize it and be allowed to go to the site since we were
1: part of it. Thoughts? a hundred percent bill. I mean, it's terrible that it, it gets politicized. Um, you know, right from the beginning, when, when the towers were knocked down, I and a lot of uh, other guys that I worked with, we all wanted to see the city skyline back to the way it was. I said, put the towers up, even if you got to leave them empty. You cannot allow these scumbag terrorists to change our landscape. And then it got politicized and they did what they did. And it's very beautiful down there. I haven't been down to the museum yet. I haven't been down to the, uh, to the reflecting pool yet. I just haven't felt... That I I wanted to put myself in that position to bring all that emotion back up. I will sometime in the future, but I think it's terrible that uh, that they're not allowing first responders to get down there we're on the 20th anniversary. And and it's always politics and these politicians and people who have no idea of what went on down there are going to make these decisions. Terrible, disgusting, and uh, we need to honor these heroes and the people that were lost. And uh, if people are going to feel solace and comfort that we're down at Ground Zero and toiled on the pile for a year or six months or even a day, and if that's what's going to bring them comfort, comfort, they should be allowed to do it.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, and I, I just wanted to say that it does help people to be to be able to memorialize this event that happened twenty years ago. And the, the sad thing is that politicians who had no part in this. Uh, They want to insert themselves into it. And I just wish they would stay away. I think many of the families voted to tell Biden to stay away because they won't allow the Saudi government to come clean with what they knew about the attacks prior. I mean, I don't want to get too political in this, but uh, it's, it's sort of a shame because it's, I've been to the, uh, the Memorial several times. I brought my class when I was teaching college and, it was tough. It was tough to walk through there. And, uh, you know, my class, even a lot of the, couple of the kids had family members that were lost, and they were, they were all in tears looking at the memorial. So it's a very powerful thing. And anyway, tonight at 8 p.m., myself and three detectives from the 2-3 squad are just going to sort of memorialize it and reminisce what our um, experience was going down there. On that day, so Can I just ago. say
1: one thing um, you, sure. you touched on? There's a lo- lawsuit that's been going through the federal court system to get Saudi Arabia to uh, turn over documents. Actually, th- they did get they were successful in some of it. But the United States government, the FBI, Homeland Security, uh, the intelligence, the CIA, they're holding back on information. And this is why Biden was asked not to come to the ceremonies on 9-11. And anybody that's listening, if you can make calls or put pressure on uh, your local uh, you know, government officials, that would be greatly appreciated. And call for the United States government to release any and all pertinent information regarding the uh, Saudi Arabian government with relation to the 9-11 attacks.
0: 100%. All right. Having said that now, Wednesday night uh, at 9 p.m., we have like this. Mo- this is actually his third time on the show. And uh, there he is Joe Pistone, AKA Donnie Brasco, uh, the most famous FBI undercover in the history of the FBI. Unbelievable guy. And he's going to come on the show, but he's going to be accompanied by a, an NYPD hero uh, by the name of Tommy Dades, who happened to be a um, a mafia expert there he is and tommy days wasn't only uh, an organized crime expert but a first grade detective and he he volunteered his time he was a boxer he fought heavyweight for the pba boxing team and he gave years of his time to train kids in the hood how to box saved a lot of kids lives by being almost like a father figure to them and he's he's a real hero not just on the police department but with the kids a lot of kids in brooklyn and uh so we're going to have Tommy Dades, who also gets credit. Uh, there's his book. He, he was instrumental in putting away uh, those two individuals on the cover of this book, who became known as the Mafia Cops, and Steve Caracapa and Louis Ippolito. And they had actually retired from the NYPD, and they had been they had done hits for the Mafia, for Gas Pipe Castle, who was their connection. And they had retired and moved to Las Vegas. And I think the NYPD Internal Affairs was actually done investigating this case. And Tommy Dades retired. He basically was told not to investigate it. He retired and went to work for the Brooklyn DA's office where he picked up the case and continued to work on this case. Phil, I know you know a lot about it. Why don't you pick up where I just left off?
1: Okay. First, I want to say Joe Pistone... Uh, Bill, you hit it right on the head. He was probably one of the most successful undercovers in the history of the FBI. But he was also, I think, any law enforcement agency in the United States. The guy was undercover six years. He played the role of a mafia uh, associate. Uh, he, he he did it without being blown his cover. There's so many different twists in the stories where he was spotted by a U.S. attorney in an airport, and he he just right away just handled it. Where he he uh, he actually slugged the guy and and uh, the guy who he was with. I think it was Sonny Blackie why'd you do that? He said, the guy grabbed my ass or something. So he was so good at what he did. I mean, his, his story is riveting. Uh, we only scratched the surface when we had him on the last two times. Uh, but along with him, Tommy Dades. now I'm personal friends with Tommy. i worked with Tommy. We worked together in the, in the squad and we also worked together in the intelligence division. But when it comes down to this, uh, mob cop stuff. I mean, these guys sold their shields to the mob. There's nothing worse, no no more of a betrayal that could be done. And I'm so proud to have won that detective shield. And these two scumbags uh, sold their shields and they went out and they did contract murders for the mafia. Nothing worse. The worst betrayal, the worst um, uh, uh, corruption scandal in NYPD history. Uh, And Tommy, along with Joe Ponzi and, You know, other members of law enforcement, uh, Mike Vecchione was uh, one of the prosecutors from the Brooklyn DA's office. Joe was a a bureau chief investigator for the DA's office. Uh, Joe was instrumental that he got... Bert Kaplan to flip and uh, on these two guys. And uh, it's just a tremendous case. There's uh, there's been uh, several times where they've been trying to get a motion picture, but it's just such a big story. They can't get it on a motion picture. They're hoping to get maybe a series done on it just to tell the story. I mean, there's so many twists and turns with that. And Tommy, uh, you, you talked about him. He retired uh, in the early 2000s, went to work for the DA's office. Then he retired from there uh, a couple of years ago. I can't get too much into detail. A couple of years ago, Tommy and I were talking, he was uh, contacted by a, a former informant and he was asking me about a homicide that occurred uh, in and around the 60 precinct area where I was a detective in the squad in the nineties. It was actually, they thought it was over in the 62, which was the next precinct over. And uh, when he started telling me the details, I said, Tommy, that was my homicide. And, uh, there's still things being done on that case. I mean, for the last two years, we've been talking with the cold case squad and there's uh good reason to believe they might be uh, involved in that case. And uh, it was, uh, I think they were charged with eight or nine, but there was, there was rumored to be more than that, more, more murders that they committed. So uh, Tommy, even from retirement, uh, he got information from an informant and uh, we passed it on. And, and uh, you know, we were working closely with, uh, with the cold case squad to, uh, possibly uh you know bring charges on that case so we'll see what happens with that but it's going to be a riveting show uh tommy is just he's like an encyclopedia with mob stuff he grew up in in brooklyn and he knew a lot of guys growing up and then he uh he went on to the police force and he was in narcotics for a while he was an undercover and then when he got into the detective bureau he went into the uh, detective squad he just applied what he knew from the street uh, to start, start targeting uh, different organized crime guys, and it just mushroomed into his whole career it became all about organized crime. He's he's a he's a real organized crime expert in Brooklyn, New York, for sure.
0: You know, Phil. One of the amazing things I've I've maybe known Tommy Dade's now for I don't know six or eight months, and the only time I've ever met him has been on this show, and he's been on the show like three times. But I feel like I've known him for years.
1: Yeah, you know, because. Yeah.
0: We clicked. We just we immediately liked each other, you know. And I and I know that. Oh, look, I had a lot of good people vouch for me, that you know, told Tommy Day, he's a good guy. Hundred retired 100%. retired homicide sergeant. So, you know, if I didn't turn out good, they would have got whacked, you know.
1: <laughs> well, I think so, you know the reason you guys <laughs> probably clicked is Tommy was always a very proactive cop detective. You were the same way. Uh, So I think it was easy to click with him And And when you talk to somebody that's got integrity and got a great reputation, like yourself, it's easy to get along with them, you know?
0: Yeah, that's great. You know, and I I just – I'm actually excited for the show uh, Wednesday night because we've had Joe Pistone on three – this is his third time. He's been on twice. He was on once by himself and once with his friend Bob Starkman who's Mm -hmm. a retired uh, customs enforcement agent and also a a Hall of Fame college basketball coach. So two amazing guys. and They're like two peas in a pod. They're they're best friends, you know, so they're always hanging out with each other. And so he came on twice, and we haven't even scratched the surface of his knowledge and of the story because, folks, if you just saw the, the movie Donnie Brasco, believe me, the book, Tells the a story that is ten times more detailed than the movie. I like the movie. Don't get me wrong, but to to understand what Joe Pistone, A.K.A. Donnie Brasco, actually did with his six years undercover was it was just it's just incredible. And then on the same card to have mob expert, NYPD first grade detective uh,
1: Tommy Dates, It's it's I'm excited about it. Absolutely, and I think you make a great point, Bill. When you when you talk about a a a motion picture, Hollywood motion picture dramatizing a story, there's always different things done for you know dramatic reasons, and and you know they change things in this and that. Like for for instance, one of the things we know for certain was the 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 person who Al Pacino played in the movie. At the end, he takes off his rings and stuff, and he goes knowing that he's getting called in by the mob, and he's he knows he's going to get killed, and he goes. And that wasn't actually Lefty; it was actually Sonny Black switch the character for uh, dramatic reasons. And always when there's a book, a book is much more detailed and gives a lot more uh, insight into what actually happened. But the movie was great. I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, big names in the movie. And uh, if you didn't see it, there's the homework people look at the, the movie. If you can, before the show, you can look at old episodes of uh, police off the cuff where Donnie Braska was on as well as Tommy Dates. I was on the, the show with you bill when we had the, uh, uh Donnie and and Stockman, Bob Stockman, the customer. Yeah, right. I thought that was That's a great right. show as well. So so yeah, you could even if you just go through it and listen to a couple of things, it'll give you a good uh idea of uh what went on and uh this is going to be a, a really good show i'm sure of it and whatever time we do it in if it's an hour if it's a little more whatever it is it's still not going to encompass the whole story of tommy and joe and 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 they by the way they know each other they, they've become friendly over the years from uh, different uh interactions and in law enforcement uh ty- uh um, subjects and stuff so uh but i think this is one of the first times they're going to be together on a podcast and talking about uh all this stuff, uh, organized crime related, you know, it should, it should be great.
0: Scott Inquirer says, Bill, oh, pretty please do not give the ending of the books. Uh, we won't do that. I, I think it's sort of known, but no, we won't give away the endings. But what what it's really going to be is is little vignettes of, of stories. They're going to both be telling like amazing, amazing stories. And, you know, they speak the same language. And obviously, even when uh, Joe Pistone came on our show, we're all cops. We're all law enforcement. Of course, he felt a kinship with us that he doesn't always get when he gets interviewed on YouTube. And he's done some, I mean, some of the interviews he's done on YouTube, a couple of them have like over 10 million, 10 million views. And I'm like, oh wow. my God. You know, I, I if I got numbers like that, I'd retire, you know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, 10, 10 million views. So he's obviously a really, really interesting guy. And, and when you follow his, his career in the FBI, you know, he, I think he started out, he got a college degree. He was in the army for a while and he taught, he taught high school, I think for a while, or, or, I know he taught for a while and then he went on the FBI and he had a lot of experience like driving trucks and working heavy equipment. So he, his first experiences uh, as an undercover were like doing h- truck hijackings, which I thought I was like, that was cool, but scary, right? Because a truck hijacking could become really violent you know, and the FBI took a chance that he would be able to handle himself and, and stay away from the violence of it.
1: You know, uh think about it, just living that life. You know, you're not, you're not an FBI agent when he goes undercover. He's not a law enforcement officer. He's a thug in the street, so to speak. He's a, he's a street guy. I mean, that's what you have to become and you have to React to things. There's situations that happen in the street when you're around these guys, and you have to be able to react to it correctly. That's not going to raise an eyebrow and say, geez, you know, I said this or that, or this happened, or that happened, and he reacted that way. He had to react the way a guy in the street, a guy in the life, so to speak, would react. And I think that that was. Uh, probably uh very difficult for him to hone skills to do that but obviously he was successful in it and he told stories about different things that happened i mean he was in scrapes with guys and fights and bought things and uh he knew that when he uh reacted to certain things he had to cert- say things a certain way or it could be misconstrued that he wasn't uh he wasn't a, you know he wasn't a legitimate guy you know that he could have been a, a cop or, or an agent they call him agent you know so uh He really, uh, it's some story, it's it's riveting. And, uh, you know, every time we talk to him, it's like, uh, you know, you learn something new. And and even though you read the book or you watch the movie, you just hear different things. And it just, you know, you like, you can like visualize it and you see it coming from his mouth, you know? Well,
0: you know, Phil, I call what he was able to do as he understood mobisms. Like, for example, you couldn't disrespect a made guy. And if a no. if a made guy hit you, you couldn't hit him back. I mean, all those crazy things that were the rules, you know. Yep. Or or as um, Sammy the Bull on his podcast, he puts it, "That's cosa nostra." You know, that's uh,
1: that's our thing. It, it, it's true. It's true. I, I grew up in Gravesend, Brooklyn, and there was just I I you know I, I grew up in the '60s and '70s, and there was just mobsters ingratiated into the neighborhood that was like you know mobster central avenue where i grew up anyways you knew these things from you know here and all like as a teenager i knew you know you can't you can't hit a mob guy uh if if a guy's a made guy and you hit him that's that's a death sentence and so many things you couldn't mess around with a guy's wife or girlfriend and all these different rules that they had and the funny thing is there's parallels between uh the military law enforcement and the mob, I mean, they they had rules. And then if you broke the rules, you were going to suffer consequences, you know. And, uh, you know, they had a code. We had a code. And I don't want to say that, you know, their code and our code were exactly alike. Obviously, they weren't. I mean, we go into retirement. They go into the cemetery on their retirement. Their <laughs> they
0: don't have a retirement plan, you know, they, like we have. Anyway, folks, yeah, you know- if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please do so. Go on to YouTube. Hit the subscribe button, give a thumbs up, ring the bell. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook. We have a website, which soon we're getting merchandise on. You can visit our website, policeoffthecuff.com. And as I said, if you're not subscribed, please do so. I see a lot of people when we do these early shows uh, from South Africa, from uh, UK, uh, Ireland, from all over the world. And we're we're so happy to... uh, so happy to have you guys. If you're from uh, overseas, put a one, put a one in the chat. I'd love to see quickly who is here from from overseas. Um, so again, uh, this tonight we're going to be doing another story on uh, on 9/11 with the three detectives that I responded with. And Wednesday night, uh, stop animal cruelty, one Great Britain. Okay, um, Wednesday night, Joe Pistone, aka Donnie Brasco with the great first-grade, retired NYPD detective, Tommy Dades. And it's just going to be an incredible, you know, these guys uh, are, besides being great cops and Joe Pistone, a great FBI agent, they're also great storytellers. And the stories happen to be true, you know, and there is something like Phil will tell you, and I'll tell you, cops love to tell war stories, you know. They live to have that beer in the bar and tell their latest war story or their best war story. And other cops love to listen to them. And some guys are better at telling the stories than others. You know, Tommy Dades happens to be uh, one of the best, you know, because he's got like a photographic memory. He remembers all of this stuff. And like when he started talking to me, I was like, Tommy, could you write some of this down and send it to me? Because I'm not going to be able to remember all this stuff. Right, Philly? (laughs)
1: Uh it's unbelievable. Now, I talk to Tommy on like a daily basis, and sometimes I'll just remember something from growing up or something from the job, a case or an incident or a name. And I go, Tommy, you remember uh, so-and-so, and And he just starts spitting out. He'll go from that story to another related story with the same guy, and then from that story, he goes into a third story, and he's really well-knowledged and versed on anything organized crime that happened, over the last 30 years, 40 years, and even from when he was a kid. And uh, it's really something to hear him. And uh, I I just want to sit back and listen to the stories of the two of them. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. You know, I just want to – we'll touch upon uh,
0: Louis Ippolito and uh, Stephen Caracappa. And, folks, they were called the Mafia Cops. And what what they were doing initially was they were selling information to the Mafia, like the locations – of certain bad guys where they were hiding out. But one of the most egregious things they did was Kara gave the wrong information to them, the wrong name and the wrong address to a guy who happened to have the same name as the, the mobs that they were looking for. So what, what happened was they killed an innocent kid and that was the most horrendous thing that happened. And I'm not giving away the story because that was just one of many things that, uh, Louie Ippolito and Steve Caracappa did.
1: That, that was horrific what you're talking about, but there's a really important component to that story. They, they, they were selling information to uh gas pipe. Queso was his, his nickname. Uh, and, uh, there was a attempt on his life and he knew one of the guy's names he gave the name to Cara through through an intermediary gave the name and Cara Kappa got it he ran him in a computer came up with a kid's name and uh i think the kid's name was Nicky Guido and he was only 18 years old and on christmas day he was shot and killed and he was the wrong Nikki Guido um but that actually was pivotable Pivotal in flipping the intermediary, which was a guy by the name of Bert Kaplan and uh, Joe Ponzi uh, got him to cooperate. It's a it's a tremendous story. And uh, but yeah, the, the, these two guys sold their badges. And uh, unfortunately, not only guys related to organized crime were killed, innocent people were killed. And I don't think there could be anything worse than that. It's just egregious that this poor kid on Christmas Day was killed. Uh, outside of his house, showing his uh, showing his uncle his new car that he got for Christmas, and uh, horrible, Un- to unbelievable.
0: Bo- Bobby Cavallo, I hope I pronounce your name correct correctly. He wrote he broke every rule in the FBI in order to stay undercover. He had to. Well, Bobby Cavallo, the rules weren't written because no one had ever gone undercover for more than like six months or a year. He went undercover for six years. So they had to rewrite the rules because they never had anyone do what he did. He lived with he lived the life of a mobster, you know, and th- the way that he had to stay undercover was it saved his life so many times. If he didn't, he, of course, rules rules sometimes are made to be broken. If especially if you have to save your life, and if someone's an undercover narcotics guy, and he goes up into an apartment and they put a gun to his head and they said. Snort this cocaine. You think he's going to then say, oh, no, I'm a cop. I'm not allowed to. No, he's going to snort the cocaine. And not only is he breaking the rules, he's breaking the law, but he's also saving his life. And narcotics on the NYPD has a certain procedure to follow when and if that happens. And I was never in narcotics, but I know how they work, and I know that they would immediately take the undercover right to the hospital and they document that he, he had to do cocaine. Because we get randomly drug tested. I mean, Phil, I think you probably know more about that than I do. You were in narcotics, right?
1: No, I, I was never in narcotics, but I do know. Uh, obviously, I, I don't want to say too much about it, but if a person has is, is got a gun to their head and they've got to save their life, and they also got to uh, protect the inter- integrity of the investigation, which is obviously the goal, and they do have to ingest the. Uh, you know, an illegal substance, then it's documented. Like they, like you said, they're brought to the hospital. They're actually kept in the hospital if they could do it without being discovered till they're actually not uh, intoxicated anymore. And then there's different notifications made to the medical division and stuff like that. And they obviously documented and it can't be used to say, you know, this guy in a random drug test is uh, in violation of our policy and fired a guy, you know, they documented. So, but going back to to Donnie Brasco, if he's in a situation where he's got to do something that, you know, they have a parameter, of rules that he can do and obviously he can't engage in killing anybody or anything like that but you know he's got he's got uh parameters he has to live up to and if he breaks those parameters and and you know it's this safety integrity of the investigation the goal is to you know bring down an organized crime family and obviously to keep his himself safe i'm sure that they had like you said they had to uh they had to rearrange some of the rules but and actually they did give him an assignment to kill somebody, obviously it was never followed through. I mean, the case came to a close before that happened, but there's so many different things. And, you know, he was given, uh, he, he went into the, the mob life as a, uh, as like a jewel thief for a, a, a burglar and, and they had supplied him with different uh, types of jewelry. He took uh, courses on, uh, you know, how to uh, spot fake diamonds and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, he was, uh, there was a lot of work that went into the pre Planning of him doing this undercover assignment, too. So, uh,
0: well, you know, you have to have everything covered. You have to anticipate questions that they're going to ask you. For example, uh, Donnie Brasco, you married? You got a girlfriend? He had that cover all set because he knew he was going to be asked that. Yeah, I got a girlfriend in California, but we just see each other once in a while. It's not that we don't live together or anything. So, that was convenient.
1: They want to test you. They they put something that's fagazi, like remember from the movie. For yeah, it's fagazi. They put a fake diamond in front of him. And say, yeah, Donnie, you know about or What is this worth? And he he threw it back. He's this is a piece of garbage. It's fagazi, you know. So that could have been a test, you know, to see who he is and if he really is who he says he is, or if he knows what he's talking about. One one hundred
0: percent. That was uh, his earliest test. Phil, I'm gonna take a little uh, commercial
1: break. You want to do the first one? Sure. Are you tired of the same old surroundings? Are you looking to relocate? Or are you just in need of a real estate agent in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina area? Well, Carol Waters is your girl. Her and her husband, Rob Mann, who's a retired member of the NYPD and the New York Fire Department, are both million-dollar sales agents in that area. Carol and her husband, Rob, can be reached at 914-261-6681. That's 914-261-6681. Six six eight one, or you can email her at Mb at gmail.com. That's carolwaterseldsmb at gmail.com. Joe Murray, a very uh, frequent guest on the Police Off the Cuff show. Have you found yourself in a jam or are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced attorney, a trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or his email is joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. He's obviously been on the show, and he's a great attorney, and you can see by his uh, previous appearances on the show.
0: Folks, Police Coffee is an officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends. Uh, They're made to provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant, and their specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Their coffee is some of the best you'll find, but it also helps serve an important cause—giving back to our community. Fifty percent of the profits goes towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order coffee and related products from policecoffee.com, go to the website. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from. Fifty percent of the profits go to officers' family in need, and for a ten percent discount, use OTC10—that's off the cu- off the cuff ten. Get it on the website, policecoffee.com. Michael O'Keefe is an author and retired NYPD first grade detective. He's the author of three novels, Shot to Pieces, A Reckoning in Brooklyn, and Burnt to a Crisp. You can order his books on Amazon.com or his website, michaelokeifeauthor.com. Great books. I've read all three of them, and Mike is one hell of a writer, that's for sure. So, uh... I'm, again, I, I I don't want to give away too much um, uh, about what we're going to talk about Wednesday night because we don't specifically know because Tommy Dade's and Joe Pistone, they could they could take this in any direction they want you know but Joe Pistone, in in his life after the FBI besides writing books and uh, consulting on movies he teaches. How to be an undercover, which is not an easy thing to do. And the closest Phil that you and I have ever been to undercover work is, um, being an anti-crime and which is totally different. You want, you're in plain clothes. And and, you know, when I talk about anti-crime, it's now a thing of the past.
1: The NYPD
0: doesn't have anti-crime anymore, but I took great pride in working anti crime, both as a police officer and as a sergeant. And to me, it was a, um, I loved anti-crime and it was, there was a way to work anti-crime that was passed down from other great cops to the next generation of cops. And unfortunately that's gone now,
1: you know, but you know what I'm saying about being an undercover anti-crime Phil? A- absolutely. I mean, anti-crime for people that don't know any the NYPD, they would, you would, you would work in plain clothes and you would try to, uh, interject yourself into the neighborhood where you worked uh, you know, to be around, maybe there was going to be a purse snatch or a chain snatch or a robbery, and you'd secrete yourself into the neighborhood in plain clothes and, you know, so as to not be noticed. A lot of times, if you were driving around the cars, the undercover cars, they were easily noticeable. But on occasion, we would actually use our own cars. And, uh, you know, so you could really be. Uh, secreted into the neighborhood without being noticeable. So, uh, and it was a great assignment, like you said. And uh, we, we did, you know, we'd have binoculars. We'd watch different things that were going off. They were breaking into some place or, you know, we didn't really do narcotics. We were really weren't allowed during the times that I was in, uh, in that crime. You weren't allowed to do narcotics for uh, fear of corruption. They had the narcotics unit that did that. But, uh, you know, it was one of the comments, and I think it was Lynn's, L-I-N-D-Z-Z. She asked if both of us had run-ins with mafia guys. I actually was in the... Uh, detective bureau during the Colombo mob war. And I had occasion to respond to uh, several shootings. And uh, there was a a murder of uh, a well-known organized crime guy by the name of Nikki black. Uh, He was gunned down in the streets and uh, respond to that. And uh, yeah, I actually had uh, uh, one of the shootings Uh, that uh, took place during the Colombo-Mob War. uh, We responded to Coney Allen, a guy who was shot, and he was the son of a a made guy, and obviously they didn't tell us too much. And uh, we actually had to go to the made guys social club and try and interview him. And, uh, he was real pleasant. You know, they had, they had a deep respect for law enforcement, believe it or not. Not all of these guys were, uh, you know, nasty to the cops. He said, listen, guys, I understand where you're coming from. I know you got to do your job, but you know, I'm not going to tell you anything and I'm sorry to, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful. Would you like to come into the club and have a cup of coffee, or a little something to eat, you know, real respectful. And, and, uh, so that was the interactions that I had. Um, not all of them were like that. Some of them, you know, got a little stupid and you'd have to get tough with them. And, uh, you know Dade's uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that and uh but then there was another comment I saw that um about how Donnie Brasco was only home a, a few number of times I think it was like five or six times right bill in the whole six years no he uh,
0: it, no he uh about five or six times a year so in the six years he said that he got home under forty times Wow to actually I mean, see well, his family
1: that that's so, just uh, incredible. Uh, yeah and
0: he had three three uh young girls. And he didn't get to go to their sports. He didn't get to see them grow up. He, in essence, missed six years of their life, which I would think would be the most difficult thing to do, uh, to not see your family. I know, Philly, you got young girls, right? And uh, how tough would it be for you not to be in their life for six years?
1: I think that's a tremendous sacrifice, tremendous. And uh, I always talk about that uh, if I woke up and didn't see my children in the morning, I mean, I'd even just for a second, that's just, it's really terrible, you know, and that's a tremendous sacrifice. You really got to tip your hat to him on that uh, point. And, uh, uh, you know, that's commitment to, to his job and commitment to to the FBI and commitment to the United States of America to, to do such a thing. That's real commitment.
0: One hundred percent. Sheila had asked um, Bill, "Does the NYPD use women undercover?" Yes, but you know they've sort of, other than narcotics undercovers, there has there isn't a lot of undercover right now that I'm aware of. Although, obviously, internal affairs, which goes to uh, investigate police corruption, they have undercovers. So the only undercovers that I'm aware of that the NYPD uses at this time is internal affairs and narcotics. And I could be wrong, but that's as far as I know, that's the only undercovers I know about. Phil, what do you think?
1: Uh, they, when I was in Kong Island, there was a, a, a prostitution problem. So they had the public morals di- division did enlist, uh, female police officers as undercovers to, you know, to, uh, to arrest Johns, I guess, to play prostitutes and stuff like that. I don't know if that stuff still goes on. I think there was, obviously, in the last couple of years with Bill de Blasio, the uh, worst mayor in the history of New York City, uh, they cut back on a lot of different uh, plainclothes uh, units within the NYPD. Obviously, they got rid of anti-crime, street crime. So I think there's probably very limited or no uh, female undercovers in in the public morals division. I really don't know. Like you said, uh, we're retired. We're not plugged into all of that. But uh, it doesn't seem very likely.
0: Factual breakdown says technology probably made certain types of undercover obsolete. I don't know if obsolete, but yeah, technology has helped tremendously in all investigative uh, work, especially in New York City. There's cameras everywhere. Cameras are an unbelievable investigative resource to detectives everywhere because they can give you. The, they can't always identify the perp, but they can give you a timestamp. They could show you exactly when something happened. They can give you what the perp looked like, what he was wearing, but you can't specifically identify the face, although then then they can also marry that to facial recognition. Facial so, yes, recognition. the technology is just uh, – its it's made the job a hell of a lot easier than it ever was.
1: There's a flip side to that too, Bill, because technology can also help undercovers. I know of uh, uh, an organized crime uh, uh, guy that flipped. uh, He was a mafia boss. His name was Frank Copa. And he wore a a bug inside of his watch, his Rolex, for about two years recording conversations with other mobsters. So I don't want to get too deep into technology, but it also works the other way around. I mean, they can... uh, You know, there's technology that, uh, you know, you can protect an undercover with uh, the technology today, too. I don't want to get too deep into it, but uh, that's just one example. I mean, that was publicly known that he wore a wire in his watch, and that was in the 90s. So you can imagine the technology that was, uh, you know, updated today and and is married into uh, undercover police work. So I guess we'll just leave it at that.
0: Yeah, how much more sophisticated it is. So, you know, what we're trying to do here, too, in um, Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories is, we're trying to give you some uh, a whole uh, bevy of different types of shows, um, from celebrating the great careers of uh, police officers, detectives, captains, chiefs. I think it gives you that side of the job, but also in ha- real crime stories, uh, focusing on different stories in different parts of the country, but also when we are able to get uh, two amazing guests like we're getting uh, Wednesday night, Joe Pistone and Tommy Dates, their stories need to be told because when stories don't get told, they die with the person that has them in their brain, you know, and that should never happen. It has, has to be documented in some way. And we, when we first started Police Off the Cuff, we thought that it's a great thing to document the careers of amazing detectives, police officers, you know, and the only way to document it is to have them tell their story. And you ask them questions, and or else these stories, like, you know, I always bring up Mikey Heinrichs, one of the most highly decorated detectives in the NYPD history.
1: 212,
0: 212 medals, two combat crosses, two medals of valor. Wow. If you had two combat crosses and two medals of valor right now, they would put you out to pasture right away. They would not. Probably if you had two combat crosses, they wouldn't put let you go out on the street again, you know, because... It's just for the police, to, you know, public relations. They're like, oh, this guy killed two people, you know. You, you know, thing. Bill,
1: that, that you just talked about, I don't mean to interrupt you, but Mikey Heinrichs, uh, those four medals, those are some of the highest medals that you can earn in the NYPD without being killed. So uh, he, he was really uh, – I worked with Mike on a couple of cases. He was in the Homicide Squad, and uh, I had uh, – the, the great experience to work hand in hand with him on some cases over the years we are in the detective bureau at the same time and stuff and uh great guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, two combat crosses, uh, uh, the other ones to uh, honorable mentions and, and whatever it was, I mean, fantastic, fantastic uh, detective and a real NYPD hero. 100%. Uh, you know, Philly,
0: we're coming up on 45 minutes. I just wanted to sort of, uh, you know, give a sort of an overview of what gonna, we're going to be doing Wednesday night and the show that I have tonight uh, with the three detectives that I responded to uh, 9-11 with. Uh Someone, oh, Stacy J, I wanted to answer your question. Is the mafia still going today? Yes, but they're, they're very much weakened uh because of people like Joe Pistone. And one of the biggest things that weakened the mafia was something called the Rico statue, uh, Statute. And that's not a guy... From Spanish Harlem, Rico is uh, racketeering, influence, corrupt organizations, and they use that law to just put people away for for almost ever. So if they can, f- they can prove uh, that it was an ongoing criminal enterprise. They can give sentences like 40 and 50 years. So what that resulted in was a lot of people turning state's evidence and cooperating with the government, and that basically um, took apart organized crime.
1: Yeah, I, uh, the RICO statute obviously uh, was applied in uh, the world of organized crime, but it's also been in uh, drug cartels, drug gangs and stuff like that, that the RICO statute, like you said, it, it, it's a, a continuing criminal enterprise, so to speak. The The, the theory is, is that if if I'm doing something and you're doing something and we together commit the same crime to give money to uh, somebody higher up and generally that's how it works and you all you have to do is prove those uh those uh those uh uh, different things in the criminal investigation but the sentencing's are almost doubled so somebody that would have got 15 or 20 years is now getting 40 years and it kind of uh squeezes them to uh to cooperate and give information and it's been very successful the mob has been on and off on the run over the years but it's still very much alive it's just uh it's a whole different world today and uh tommy will Tommy Dades will probably get into that on our our show tomorrow night. And uh, Joe, I'm sure has a lot of input on that too. But yeah, I think that the two people we have on Joe Pistone put a super hurting on organized crime, what he did. And Tommy Dades also uh, had a hand in uh, putting a hurting on, uh, you know, along with Many other investigators, detectives, DEA agents, FBI, and uh, and then the mob cops. I mean, you know, we're gonna have these are superstars in law enforcement. We're having tomorrow night, Bill. They're superstars, hundred percent.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, Tommy Dade's once said to me, "I said, how's the mafia now?" He goes, "They can't even get a reservation at a restaurant." <laughs> and I said, <laughs> uh, "I said, I don't know if it's uh, that bad," but he said, "Yeah, it is because of the work." Of a lot of these great uh, FBI agents and detectives, and of course the Rico statue, which uh, probably you know, I remember when we did all those mob ter- uh, terminology, and they said, "What was the golden age of the mafia?" And the answer was the days before Rico, yeah, because yeah, they didn't have that crazy crazy yeah. law to put people away for, uh, you, you know,
1: you know, Bill. Th- there's uh, there's a lot of things to be said about. The mob, I mean, I, I always kind of tag it as mobsters, muscle, and misfits because there was the real mobsters. There was the guys that were the muscle, you know, the killers, the guys that broke legs. And then there was these guys that hung, hung around and degenerate gamblers, and they were kind of like misfits, you know. So I guess that's a way to put it. And maybe the mis- misfits couldn't get a, a a reservation in a restaurant. But uh, <laughs> the top-notch guys, oh, they they could – they could get their reservations done. I mean, it's different today. It's it's changed. But, uh, you know, and we, we have some uh, – we're working on some other guests to try and give the other side of the coin too. Uh, you want to talk about that, Bill?
0: Yeah, well, you know, we, we're always looking to have some really interesting guests, and I, I'm always working on getting some amazing guests. And the best way to get amazing guests is to know amazing people because they can hook you up with who their friends are. And we're working on one of the biggest um, – uh, mafia guys to come on the show, and I don't want to give his name right now. But if it if it happens, if we, we get a commitment, I'm going to let everyone know. And then I'm also trying to get a a very famous actor to come on who's involved in a lot of the mafia movies and stuff. And again, I don't want to drop his name because until he gives me a commitment, and I had a you know a commitment via text message, but till the person commits to a date, I'm not going to. Use their name, but we're trying to bring really interesting guests and shows. Uh, someone's people are guessing in the chat, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give it up. I'm not no, we can't.
1: <laughs> we can't give it up until it's uh, a hundred percent hard commitment that uh, we're gonna do the show. But uh, I think everybody will uh, recognize who we're talking about. There's a couple of things we're working on, and I think it's gonna give a good perspective listen we're in law enforcement we were on the other side of the fence that these people were on and we don't uh you know we don't support what they did or anything like that but uh publicly it would be great to get the other side the perspective you're going to hear just like when we have joe murray on the show and he talks about you know defending a a guy that may have committed a heinous crime it's good to get the other side on uh the the you know the organized crime uh, uh you know, trend that goes on in the country over the last 30, 40, 50 years. So we're going to have some interesting guests and I don't think there's anything wrong with listening to what they have to say. And it's going to be insightful. And, uh, it's just another perspective, you know, and, uh, and going back to the summer welds case that we were on, if something develops with that, I'm sure we'll do more stuff on that. And we're going to stay plugged into all the, uh, current cases, information, uh, you know, things that would be, uh, interesting to the listeners. And, uh, we're here. We're doing the job. We're doing the police off the cuff after hours crime stories. <laughs> you
0: know, Philly. I just wanted to say that we. I'm not. We're not going to do anything on the Summer Wells case unless there's new information. I, we can't just That's keep repeating the same stuff and from yeah. a different angle or from a different perspective. If there's new information, we will gladly go up on that case. Uh, it's a very interesting case. I have my theories in regards to that case. But unless there's new information, we're not going to just repeat the same stuff. So because I think it's, uh, I know it's sort of patronizing to the people that are listening. So it's gonna... beating
1: a dead horse. If there's developments, yes. obviously we'll jump right on it. But uh, I think that we uh, we gave a really good over all the shows we did on it. We gave a really good perspective on our our thoughts. We were challenged on some things. We answered it, and uh, you know we're not going to change our opinions. And uh, it is what it is. You know, like you said, if there's further
0: developments will be on it. 100%. And, uh, you know, we're also plugged in with uh, Texas and Midwest EquiSearch who regularly uh, call in to us through duty, Ron, and through myself. And they're going to tell us if they're going to go back there, and that would be a new development. We would report on that. But other than that, uh, we're not just going to keep repeating old information. So, And we're hoping that law enforcement comes across with something on the Summer Wells case and there's some movement. But anyway, uh, folks, so tonight, again, we have another special 9-11 show starting at uh, 8 p.m. with the three detectives I responded with that day. And Wednesday, again, Joe Persona, Tommy Dades. Uh,
1: Phil, final words? Final words. I want to give a plug. I did a podcast for Mike Colon, Mike in New Haven and sees audio. It aired Thursday and Friday. Anybody that wants to see an interesting uh, podcast, I talk a little bit about my career and the things that I did. Uh, I thought it was a pretty interesting show. And uh, we'll give some props out to uh, Mike. Uh, Tomorrow night's show, looking forward to it. We talked about uh, all the different areas we're going to touch on with the two superstars in uh, law enforcement related to organized crime. It's going to be riveting. Uh, And we talked about the uh, upcoming things that we're working on. Fingers crossed we'll get some more interesting guests, maybe people from the other side of the the tracks, as they say. And uh, looking forward to it, Bill.
0: All right, great. Uh, I'm Bill Cannon on behalf of Police Off the Cuff. uh, Real Crime Stories for myself and Phil Grimaldi. Good night, everyone. Thanks for watching.
1: Stay safe, everybody.